0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. As we continue our series, What's True About You?, that we started in August. And we're in January. Was it really August? It was. It was mm-hmm. the first uh first series that we uh, hit coming out of the summer. Okay. With the goal of getting it knocked out by December. That was a fool's errand. Well, now, in my defense, I actually wanted
0: to start it in June, if you recall. Yeah. And you guys like uh were smart. Like, <laughs> like, that's a terrible thing to start in the summer. Over the summer. Yeah. We're gonna go to Romans. I think that was the first time that I had been universally
1: shot down. Shot down,
0: like everybody. It was like literally like a
1: pheasant hunt, and everybody was just going <laughs> out it.
0: But, but the, the you guys are right. Let me was totally right.
1: Well, we're through. Well, Sunday we finished chapter ten, so we are we're making our way, and I think uh, we made some really good headway this week as we we got through all of Romans all of Romans ten in one Sunday.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I actually was. I surprised myself that I that we did that. Yeah, because um, at the same time, like it's not a contest. Like we're not like the only no. we're only racing ourselves here. It's like That's these right. are completely arbitrary and capricious deadlines. But you know, at the same time, this is is a big Bible, so we want to get to more of it. You know,
1: yeah. There's other there's other things happening. Yeah,
0: there's a whole lot of other things out there. But you know, the thing about Romans that has been um, so poignant. Is, and it's it's why we wanted to do it to begin with. I remember this, that it, Romans is like a theological chiropractic adjustment. Like it just pops everything into place. Yeah. And, you know, the good chiropractor, which they've got, you know, have you seen these on the TikTok, you know, like these chiropractors and they're just like popping people's necks and it's Far more gratifying than you think it's going to be. Um, I get mine done every Monday. It, uh, and so that, that moment when they snap your neck, you think, I might have just died. Or, <laughs> uh, Romans does some of that. And this this was one of those, this chapter, it was like a big old yeah. next snap. Because the thing that is in our world right now that we're surrounded by is just squishy, my truth, your truth. Uh, there is no truth. Um, and... Which is, it's, uh, that's obviously in and of itself a demonstrably false idea. And by the way, there is no truth is a truth, so you can't. You know, it just collapses in on itself. Right. So Romans is um, for for Rome itself was probably the most more like us than Jerusalem was like us, meaning Americans, West Western mm. pagan society. So when you see like Hebrews was written to. Hebrews, Jewish people, um, still completely relevant to us, but Rome, Romans was written to a church in Rome. Uh, so there would have been a lot of pagans, uh, Christians who were pagans distributed amongst pagans. So a lot of what he was dealing with them, which we're going to get to in the chapters about government and all that stuff, uh, is stuff we're we're dealing with today. So it's, it turns out to be quite helpful.
1: Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately I, I missed the teach the in person teaching on Sunday, which was super bummed about. We had a mechanical failure in the building that I had to be attentive to. Um, we had one of those days that just there was just a whole lot of things just popping off. Crazy, honestly. I mean, this this is what happens in the winter, right? I mean, just things just don't work right when it's super cold. Yeah. Um, so I missed the teaching, but the point is, I, what I love is that we've got ways to go back and listen to. The teaching, so whether it's on YouTube or whether it's through this podcast, you can always go back and listen. And so, I encourage our listeners if you missed Sunday's teaching, if you're listening to this before you have listened to the Sunday's teaching, maybe just push pause, go back and listen. Yeah, go back and listen, and you then put it at 1.5 speed, yeah, just buzz you, your way through you'll it. You'll be done in 18 minutes, and, yeah. yeah, you can come back here, come back here, and, and get caught up. And so, I was able to do that yesterday, which was great, and um, just a, a a lot of takeaway that we're going to get into today, but in context, you've you've mentioned this that Romans 9, 10, and eleven are laid out kind of in this way: that Romans nine is is Israel's past, his sovereignty, God's sovereignty, and Romans ten being Israel's present, his equity, Jew or Gentile. In Romans eleven, which we'll get to in the next week or so, Israel's future, his integrity. Mm, yep, um, is that. Pretty much sum up these this this chunk of chapters right here. Yeah,
0: because we all know that when Paul wrote this, he didn't. He wasn't writing verse one, two, three, chapters nine, ten. It it. But it, this was like one contiguous thought. Is
1: contiguous a word? Did I just make up a word? Uh, well, contiguous refers to like the states.
0: Okay, so I, uh, no, I've United completely states misused a word. Are I?
1: connected together, literally connected together contiguous, so that would be kind of this then this would be a contiguous book
0: yeah but I think you meant to say continuous, continuous. i'm I'm hundred percent sure that's what I meant to say um <laughs> continuous thought, which is the gospel um there are those who uh it's almost like they treat nine ten and eleven as like a paid commercial break for israel mm. um or if, if you you know if you have no really like if you were not Jewish you might be think why is he making all this noise about Israel like we're talking about the gospel here. But because half of the audience that was getting this was a a Jewish audience, the other half was a pagan audience, a Gentile audience, you know, one of the things Paul needed to do, and probably for his own sake uh, as well, was is this really true across the board? And if it's true, then why in the world are the Jewish people, why is it so messed up right now? You know, Paul had been beaten by his former countrymen. He had been abused. He himself had been one of those guys. And so... You know, the question of what does this mean for Israel um, was an imp- was an important one, is an important one, and will continue to be an important one. And so when you, yeah, you look at the, yeah, the, the way that our uh, Bible translators and people that have printed Bibles, they, they put the chapters and verses to make it easier to find. Because, you know, it would be a lot harder. Hey, turn to page 903, the fourth paragraph, the second stanza, whatever, you know. So, so there is a practical side to that. It's just sometimes, you know, you forget that it wasn't there. So... But but the way that it was broken up was uh, and is, yeah, this was Israel's past. Chapter 9, this was God's sovereignty. God had a plan, and his his thread of, of Christ was woven from, you know, Abraham, actually from Adam, but through Abraham to Christ. So his sovereignty was in place. Uh, chapter 10, actually 11 is the future, which we'll get to this coming Sunday. His, and the integrity is just simply that. Hey, God's going to keep these promises to this. And, you know, chapter 10, Israel's present is when I say equity, that's a word that's kind of charged right now. So I uh, hesitate to say that. Blame it on Warren Wearsby. I think it's probably the commentary, some commentary that I found it in years ago. Um, but as equity is that, you know, Jews and Gentiles, there is no, uh, priority in that. They're all being grafted into this, you know? And so Israel's, um, past and present and future, which is, you know, our past and present and the future. And so we are equal and, and invited into as Jesus' people, we are grafted in to the branches. And so that's sort of ten, like the present of Israel and the and the
1: equity of God. Well it's 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 one it's just another reason why Paul is a fantastic writer. Um he's so good at giving context. Um and in 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 that context, in that flow of understanding the past, the present and the future, it's almost as if He's kind of storytelling a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a story. These are all things that happen, but he's his his grammar and his uh, his ability to flow a a thought um, that's deep and rich um, has has a pattern to it. And you kind of talked a little bit about that in terms of of just the story of our lives. And um, taken from Romans chapter ten, uh, are we living in the story of? righteousness by law or the works or righteousness by faith mm-hmm. um, that word righteousness that's a church word
0: yeah i mean it's one we've heard over and over again and um it, and at the core of it it's it just means made right you know but righteousness with who like righteous with buddha righteous with science right you know um but the the righteousness that we're all ultimately desiring and it's what i I quoted it but you know Blaise Pascal, you know, in in some of his writings, spoke about this God-shaped vacuum uh, in all of us. Every human that was born was born with this. And so our lives begin to be this quest to fill this hole. And uh, in the kindness of God, what's kind of awesome about him is that that hole is there and it can only be filled by him. so it keeps us coming back to because everything you fill it with eventually you know at my age i've i've had a few decades to try to fill it with all these other things and it just doesn't fill and so you end up coming back um but what the the thing about bible speak that gets kind of tricky for us is that we think righteousness and we think that this is sunday thought but then what is monday thought and so what what pascal was was saying um, is in a way kind of what Dow- the way that Dallas Willard worded it, which is that you know the the, uh, the we're we're all broken really, and the only thing is got God. We, he basically God has made this world in a way that is all broken without Him. So without God in it, it's going to be broken. And so on Monday, righteousness by works, righteousness by law. Um, like what does that look like in our lives? And uh, it's may how do I say this right? I think maybe like a lot of my life growing up in in faith has been. Like I said, there's like this faith side of me, and then there's this side of me that's married to Shannon. There's this side of me that's a uh, an employee, that's a boss, that's a, a, a friend. That, and so those two seem to not—they're like two separate thoughts. But the realization that that this passage brings is that Israel was living by a false story, righteousness by law, which is that if they were just good enough, if they were just right, then they could, they could be made right and accepted by God. And— what I've come to realize and learn the older I've gotten is that what Pascal, what Willard, all those guys were saying is that the story underneath the story, or my false story, what I might be living in, is some version of righteousness by, by law. And so, you know, for me, um, the, the, the story, for most men, the story, which I talked to a little bit on Sunday, is that uh, I'm a fraud. And if everybody figures that out, um, I, I can't let them know that. Because uh, I, I, then they'll fire me, or they'll reject me, or they'll... Um, I was talking with somebody uh, immediately following one of the services, and, and this guy's a f- you know, pretty... Su- actually, by, not pretty, but like by all intents and purposes, really successful. And uh, he runs production and lights for one of the top touring acts in music world. And uh, he said, yeah, man, we were just talking about this the other day with my brother, and we were saying, man, did you ever feel like a fraud... I just feel like I don't really, I'm supposed to know all this stuff. I don't really know this <laughs> stuff. And I'm, you know, and I'm, of course I'm thinking, how is it even possible think that this guy's literally, I've seen his production and like we paid him money for production in a previous life, but it's the story of man in general.
1: It's funny because uh, it's a phrase that, that, uh, that I've used for years and I hear my kids using it now too. My adult boys, um, but it's kind of behind what you are saying here it's the, the phrase fake it till you make it yeah right i mean like i've I've, li- I've i've lived by that at least in my early years i have no clue what i'm doing yeah. right like as a young man uh trying to just figure things out with yeah. you know marriage and a couple kids and then you're 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 working a job and you're trying to pay the bill like i don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of fake it until you make it. But yeah. that speaks to that same ideology, really. It does,
0: because in the heart of a man, the fake it till you make it, um, it's so lonely because fake it till you make it means that I can't tell anybody else that I don't know. Right. It's very lonely. And so you are so isolated in that um, because the the truth is, and this is why, you know, when this guy was sharing this with me— um, we are. We're all doing that, like we're all trying right. to figure this stuff out. But the whether it's Christianity, you know, our job, whatever. Like, there's this part of it, I just this part I don't know, and I feel so un- unskilled and unequipped for it. I don't. I, I thought I would know more by the time I got to be this age. Um, so faking it means that I'm now uh, pretending to be somebody that I'm not, and I'm now because it does. It makes you and think about it, this is the this is why it's it's just another form of religion because. When I make a mistake, I don't tell anybody. I try to cover it up. I try to hide. Um, what did Adam do right in the garden? He hid. He, you know, he he, he pulled away, That's because right. shame was there. Um, it it causes me to block off other people because um, I don't want them to know me enough. Because if they know, then you know. And in a weird way, then you end up becoming like this. Um, not for everybody, but a lot of you almost become it's easy to become a jerk because I'm now trying to control other people to make them because uh, I feel like I'm if, if I can keep them at hands bay, whether I'm being mean to them or controlling their or trying to judge their thing or critiquing their thing. You know, whenever you hear somebody that is is always criticizing someone else's work. Yeah, I mean, they're great, but, you know, you got to that's a fake it till you make it moment. That's if I can make them look bad, then I end up I feel a little right. better about myself. And so those are all versions of just righteousness. By law, which yeah. is I'm trying to do something to be accepted and loved and and at the core of it that's with each other but at the underneath of it all it's literally this with God himself like the gospel is not um, secondary to this the gospel is central to this and if I walk around believing any version of that story and then I begin to you know, fake it, right, pretending, whatever. That's just the Pharisees over and over and over again. And so you're alone. You have no relationships. And what Romans 10 was, what, what what Paul does in Romans 10 is tell us that there are, look, there are two kinds of stories in the world, that there's the righteousness by law, right, that we were just talking about, the fake it till you make it, and and by the way, true of church settings as well. Um, and then there's righteousness by faith, which is simply believing that God has my best interests in mind, simply believing that before I ever, ever said a word, as he talks about at the end here, uh, before I ever reached out to him, he reached out to me, believing that it's not about my performance or what I can do. It's about his performance and what he did do. There's something about that, that when I live out of that, that my life um, is it's sozo, it's salvation. So is it, is it just about eternity? Yeah, it's about eternity. But sozo doesn't start the day that I breathe my last breath here. It starts the moment that I believe what he said of me. And then, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, I talked a little bit about Don Miller's book uh, in in this. And, and, and I know, look, people have opinions about Don um none of which are grounded in the fact whether they know the guy or not, they've seen some of his videos and, you know, he's said things that, I mean, he's me in that way. I say how all the time I, I say things and I'm like, "Oh, that's not exactly how I meant that or, but you know, put all that aside. Um, Don wrote a book um, called hero in a mission and he put these four kinds of categories of, of, of uh, characters in there. And it was the, as I was reading through it this last month, you know, he sent me a copy and I was reading it and, um, and I kind of realize actually even the story of the gospel still fits into those four categories of uh, of characters in any great story. Not just any story, but any great story. If the story of the gospel is a great story, then it should include those four characters. And so, you know. Uh, should we list out the characters? Yeah, we probably should. I mean, obviously this is not from the, from the biblical narrative, but from.
1: The way that the world works. Story structure.
0: Yeah, the story structure.
1: Ba- basic story structure includes a villain, a villain, a victim, a hero, and a guide.
0: Yeah, and so and so. Don's book says, "Hey, uh, and it, it's look. It's meant to be a business book. It's meant to be a self. You know, I don't. know, He may, he may reject the self help, but but it's an idea of here. Here's not a good way to organize your life. Right, and it's true. Yeah. If you if you run around acting like a victim, and in our culture, good lord, the victim mentality is. Everywhere. It's taken over. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the And the victim is that I can't help it, that I, I'm stuck here, I'm trapped, I can't do anything.
1: Everybody's against
0: me. Everybody's against me. Um, and he's, his idea, you know, which is a true idea, A, every story's got one of those. And B, if, if your story is going to be, you got to figure who you're going to be in the story. And do you want to be the person that everybody, you can't ever get anything done. You're always going to be a victim. Um, there's the villain, right? And villain is somebody that makes other people feel small so that they can feel big. Um and it, you know, look it's his story brand idea, right? Every every great story from Tommy Boy to Star Wars, they've got these characters in them. Uh you know
1: <laughs> I love Tommy Boy. <laughs> it's a great movie, right? <laughs>
0: and, and they do. They meet the old guy, he's the sage, yeah. he gives them the advice. Classic uh, storytelling. Yeah right. Tommy Boy. Uh yeah Tommy Boy. <laughs> the book of Romans and Tommy Boy. <laughs> uh there's the, the the hero, which is the guy that comes in saves the day. Um you know, and in Don's world, the hero is who you want to be. When you're marketing to people, you're not the hero. Um, the, the, your customer's the hero. But the hero, we all think we're the hero in the story. Yeah. That's at the core of it. We all think we are. Uh, hero is the guy that, you know, comes and saves the day. And the guide is somebody that works with the hero. It's Yoda. Uh, it's the old codger in Harry Potter. It's like it, there's a guide that comes alongside the hero and, and works with the hero and tells
1: about the hero. This is a wild reference, but. I noticed it over this past Christmas, uh, watching the the Home Alone movies. Home Alone 1 and 2 follows this almost exactly. And having kind of read through Don's stuff, yes, it's unbelievable. It's brilliant. It's why those movies are so good. Like, if you think back about it, maybe the next time you watch it a year from now, um, watching the story structure there, um, the the hook in those movies I don't want to give it away, but those movies have been out for thirty years. Yeah, um, <laughs> the statute of limitations on a spoiler alert
0: is like ten years. Uh, expired. But you,
1: but you can see it in, in in modern day movies too. But the the hook in those is when the villain becomes the hero. That's that's kind of the hook for those movies. It's, it, it's a it's a turn, it's a story turn, where the the villain becomes the hero, and kind of knowing the story structure of how these things are laid out and kind of researching it this past year a little bit. The past yeah. couple of years as we've right. kind of gone down this this hole, it's so obvious now when you I watch know. movies. It
0: kind of ruins every movie, right? You can see he's the protagonist is a guy. He's got a problem. Here's what's coming next. Yeah, he meets a
1: guy. The guy gives him advice. He either does what you know does what he says, and you know. It's but, but what was really cool about framing this uh, is is that you applied this to um, the Good Samaritan story in in Luke. Is it? Is that right? Yeah, Luke 10. And, uh, Luke, 10. Luke chapter Luke 10, the Good Samaritan story. And, and you, you did a really good job of, of applying this story structure and seeing who who are you in the story. Um, because, you know, back in the day when, when I was in Sunday school and we had the little, you know, felt... Um, what, what was this called? Fla- flannel, flannel graph. Flannel graph. Sorry, not felt. The flannel graphs absolutely was the flannel graph. Dude, you were too old for flannel graph. I, I was smack dab in the middle of flannel graph. We're too you young. What are you about? talking about? So, it was in the 80s. 80s so flannel, flannel graph, graph culture was still in the 80s? It wasn't my world. Oh, wow. I mean, Midwest Ohio. because the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church. <laughs> They're probably still <laughs> Dude, using <laughs> flannel
0: graph. Dude, by the 80s, man, we were doing puppets with Willie
1: George and <laughs> Gospel
0: Bill and like a, the Barnyard Band, like praise and stuff.
1: Yeah, we didn't get puppets until about a decade later. But using the flannel graph, I remember the the Good Samaritan story, yeah. and, and and it was always, I mean, the lesson was always right. The takeaway was to be the Good Samaritan, right? right. To help your brother. Yeah. And parenthetically, that's a really good lesson. Still true. Yeah, be a, it's a great lesson. Be like the Good Samaritan. But in the gospel story, and as Jesus is teaching this parable, that's that's a big shift in understanding the story that we've all been told, to see that. In the story, we're not necessarily the Good Samaritan. Yeah, because
0: anything that becomes self— How do I say this without sounding like I'm whining? If your job, if my job is to completely be the Good Samaritan, okay? Now, for the first few years of conduit mission of the work that we were doing in other countries, um, I would have told you that we're trying to be like the Good Samaritan here. The hero. The hero. And, uh, and here's why that's a dead end and why that is a salvation by works, uh, righteousness by law. Um, Galatians, Paul warns about, do not become weary in well-doing. You can do good, but if you're doing it to be the hero of the story, then you're going to, quote-unquote, become weary, and that's just King James speak for burnout. Don't burn out doing good stuff. And what I was doing in that era was helping a lot of people, not a bad thing at all, but I wasn't doing it because I loved Jesus. I was doing it because I had this God-shaped hole in me and I was trying to fill it with helping people. Yeah. And it doesn't fit in that. And so there there was an era where I was exhausted, I was tired, I was burning out. And there's the the thing about the world is that there is so much more need than there is of money to go around. There's way more need than I had to go around. And... So, th- so while it's a good thing to be that, if you're doing it to try to fill the hole, it doesn't fit. And so when you look at the answer, so Jesus in this parable in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So that's the question that Jesus is answering. Not what must I do to be a good Jesus person or whatever, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so if Jesus' answer is for you to be the Good Samaritan, then he is, Jesus is offering mm-hmm. you a salvation, a righteousness by works. That's good. Um, but if he's offering you the gospel and allowing the, the Bible to interpret the Bible, uh, it's not it. And so it's, and, and again, all good stories, if they, of all excellent, amazing stories, have all four of these characters. Uh, when you look at the story as a salvation, as a righteousness by works, there's actually no guide in this story. There's only a victim, a villain, and a hero. And in the salvation by uh, works, the v- uh, victim, of course, is the man beaten bloody on the side of the road. Uh, the villain is the rob, are the robbers and the Levite and the priest because they didn't stop to the help. They're right. villains. Yeah in this story. Righteousness by law is only, there are only victims and only villains. Um, it just doesn't get you anywhere else than that. And the hero comes along and uh, you're told that you got to be the hero to save from the villains. Uh, and, and and by the way, that puts you into categories, victims of villains and heroes. It's a, which is, you start putting people into categories. The CRT, any sort of critical theory where you're categorizing this group of people versus this group of people and you're categorized not by, uh, your soul and your salvation, but you're categorized by the by who you are, your race or your, you know, allegiances. So he doesn't want to categorize us as heroes versus villains in this. So in the salvation, in the righteousness, and I use that word interchangeably, salvation, it's the word sozo, the word righteousness, it just it means being healed, it means being fulfilled, it means having purpose. It's like your sozo is this word that is so much more it's not less than eternity, but it's so much more than that. It's about who you're being, who you were created to be. And in the salvation, righteousness by grace, when uh, the hero comes along, the good Samaritan, he picks up this person uh, and he, he puts, which I love this picture, he puts oil and he puts wine. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. It says, I'm going to pay for it all. I'm the hero. There's no room for it. In, this, in the story of uh, righteousness by uh, uh, righteousness by faith, or there, uh, there's a, there is a hero. It's just I'm not it. It's Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and then, but the end, he says, now go and do likewise, and and likewise is go and be rescued by the hero, and then you become the guide. Which is Romans ten goes on to talk about telling others about you know how do they know if they haven't heard how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news that we are the guide in the story. We are Yoda. We are the the person that's that stands
1: beside the hero that works with the hero points people to the hero points people to the hero yeah i like that word sozo too because i remember studying the end of uh, acts chapter two when we were going through that over the summer with uh, our essential church series the last part of that verse talks about in the yes, numbers their right those that were saved and th- another another word for saved there and s- with sozo is rescued yeah yeah which is what's happening here in this story yeah this great rescue that's happening. Yeah. And so there's a release in that. Like,
0: are Christians called to love the least of these brothers of mine? Acts chapter 2, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, even in our own church, we're calling our uh, small group ministry the 242 groups based on, they were devoted to prayer, teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, those four things. And then verses 43 through 48, they were just like an out, they're just a natural overflow of what happens when mm-hmm. you're devoted
1: for those four you, things yeah when you point people back to the hero yeah these things happen
0: <laughs> yeah it's because then you you know we you know people ask how do we do what we do here at condo how do you do so much how do you give so much away the answer is that we don't no. just people are just following jesus and doing it and we just get out of their way and let jesus do it and, and it takes the pressure off whew. Uh, if nothing else you know
1: selfishly speaking it's actually a good way to live but it turns out that's the way that jesus wired us Everybody's trying to be the hero, to solve the problem. But really in the big picture of this entire story, we are the victim. We are the victim to Genesis 3. We are a victim mm-hmm. to sin. We are a victim to the curse that was placed upon this earth. Um, the fact that we all have sin in us, we were born into it, that we are victim to that. And being then pointed to the hero that redeems it all. Yeah. And so that takes submission, that takes humility, and those things culturally speaking, in in the, in the world we we don't default to those, we don't default yeah. to that. No, what we've defaulted to, what I default to sometimes, I mean, good lord,
0: is, I sometimes I feel like uh, on an, on any given day I'm, I'm I'm any one of these four. I'm trying to be all of them, you know. sometimes Right. Somewhere. Sure. Um, but the the idea that the story. I opened up on Sunday with this story of a lion that, you know, I've, I don't remember who, I've, it probably T.D. Jakes for all I, know. Somebody, some, <laughs> I don't know, some preacher somewhere a long time ago, but I remember hearing that and, and realizing that the story is the, sto- is the cage. Like if I'm in a false story that is a, is a uh, salvation by uh, righteousness by law, it becomes a cage for me. And if I remove fr- uh, myself from that into the gospel, it it literally unlocks into freedom into cuz now i'm out there there's no cage um uh, that, that's trapping me and i i now have a, a a savior that i'm following not a story that i am serving and uh f- you know whether it's science i mean f- for crying out loud the, like the last 2 years I, I i for me i'd always felt personally that science wasn't a replacement of God, it was a, uh, honestly, the further I dive into it, the more I always felt like my faith was bolstered by it. But we've figured out in the last year that even the scientific method, so to speak, becomes its own God and its own version of salvation of righteousness by law to the point where we were, you know, we get people shaming each other. We get people, you know, banishing each other. It's like it's, we have our, there's the blasphemy laws Inside of it, you can't say this. You have to say that. Uh, it, it's literally the exact same as any religion, but just happens to have science at the helm yeah, of it. It's playing out right in front of us. And by the way, predicted by a guy named Neil Postman, who is like the a secular C.S. Lewis. Interesting. is what he's been referred to. Um, it's funny. I w- I'd stumbled into this piece that he wrote years ago. And I... Uh, and it was like and I didn't get to get it into um in, into the sermon on Sunday because we got thirty minutes and we had kids in the service and they were already bored out of their minds um so so we didn't get to it but it i mean good lord he this was in nineteen ninety seven and and funny enough, like I came into my office that morning and it, this book has been sitting on my desk for how long
1: yeah, I've seen it sitting there for a while for a
0: while. I can be very unobservant, can't I
1: that's the same guy
0: it's Neil postman. <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, Oh my goodness, that guy. Uh, oh, that's great. Neil Postman wrote this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, wow. In nineteen eighty five. And Postman's uh idea is that the fact that we have so much information now uh and, and by the way, in eighty-five, it would have been television. It would have been cable. It would have been. It was back when like youth pastors were playing records backwards. Did you guys do that in the nineties?
1: You mean to tell us how bad the music was? That yeah, backmasking. Yeah, yeah, they'd play it backwards. Oh, look, in the they music. said
0: Satan said yeah. don't do that. I'm like, that oh yeah, it's... we had
1: one of those services one day. Did they? Oh yeah. Did you hear it when they played it backwards? I didn't hear. I it. I mean, you know, it's all subliminal. They... Do you know what we're talking about, Micah? Backmasking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. And it was that and. Um, <laughs> the beats per minute. Oh, so um, you guys were baptized. We didn't do beats per minute because we were dancing on Sundays. Yeah, it was it was uh, the, the the
0: certain notes. For us, it was just the message. If you played it backwards, here's the Beatles. He so said Satan is Lord. I'm like, no, he didn't. He said, <laughs> play it again. Uh, but th- so this was in that era, and he's saying that there's so much information. about so this piece that I was reading for Sunday. Uh, was written in January 1997. It was a talk he gave. It's called Science and the Story that We Need. And Postman's idea is that we have all this information, but because we've taken God, again, secular guy, because we've taken God out of it, we have now divorced information from purpose. And without having some kind of purpose and some kind of meaning, information uh, actually does the exact opposite and gives us less purpose and less meaning And, again, secular humanist guy saying that we have divorced ourselves from that. And we lived that literally. So 1997, he passed away in 2003. But I'm like, man, if he could have lived to have seen what a society built on information without purpose could do. Um, Here's what he said. It made me think of that because you said about humbling ourselves. Uh, He says we can – this is how he ended this talk. And it's – if you just Google Neil Postman – Science and the Story We Need. This will be the first link that will come up. It's um, reprinted on firstthings.com. We can make the human tale larger only by making ourselves a little smaller. By seeing the vision, each of us is granted uh, is but a tiny fragment of a much greater truth not given to mortals to know. It is the technology God that promises you can have all of it. My own limited reading of Scripture tells me that was never a promise made by God, only that we should have such understanding as is sufficient for each one and for a time. For people who believe that promise, the challenge of retelling our tale for new and changing times is a test not of our wisdom, but of our faith. And I'm thinking, did he read Romans 10 in his quote-unquote limited reading of Scripture? Um, because it is uh, uh, our faith, uh, and, and not in, uh, f- not faith in faith, not faith in my ability to have faith, but faith in God. And, you know, I, uh, I said this uh, on Sunday, but it's, I, I think it's important, oh, I know it is, because uh, it's not like we're just picking another story. Like the best story to live from is the one that's true. And so if you're not living from a true story, you're just going to find yourself on another lap around the righteousness by law. This is the only one. Uh, Jesus, you know, God didn't give us like, hey, here's 100 stories. Pick the one that feels right. This is it. And when you step into this and then continue to bring the, your, your heart back to this, your, you know. The, the thing that uh, Don said in his book, Miller, um, he talks about when he weighed 387 pounds. And how he lost. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. Right? I mean, I've,
1: I've seen Don recently. and He's a big I would have he was a never big-in. guessed that that was part of his story. I, I honestly did not know that.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, look, at the top of my weight, I was bucking into the 270 range, and that was definitely a moment where I'm at this impasse. I'm either going to be the guy at Walmart on a scooter, <laughs> uh, you know, where I got I could pull up my gut and put the towel under it and hold my towel up, or i got to change this, you know, and— it's uh, weirdly enough, I've kind of had come to a different conclusion when I was sitting on that joke about it, but it's really not that funny. On a scale a couple of years ago in Haiti, uh, trying to get on this little plane, and it, it, it's one of those big giants with the giant hand on it. It went way up, and the look on lafleurs you know, who's not exactly uh, small himself. Um, and I'm realizing, oh gosh, I weigh, uh, I'm not healthy enough to do what God has called me to do. It's wow. just sort of this word that was getting in my mind. And, yeah. Um, but what Miller says in his book is, I didn't have a self-discipline problem. I had an identity problem. Um, I did not see myself as somebody who, who, you know, who needed to, do, to weigh less to do what I accomplished. I needed to see myself as somebody. Um, so his, you know, I'm sure he has some life hacks for how he lost the weight, but his first thing was I, I, uh, who I wanted to be did not allow me to weigh 387 pounds. So life right. hack, he lost a bunch of weight. Um, I would say that, that's a great diet plan. But that's not a great life plan for the rest of your life. Because uh for me, looking at my identity, one hundred percent true. If my identity is somebody who uh is is just a big kid, whatever, um, that's not the whole story. My identity is somebody that is far from God and I need to if my identity is now someone who is in Christ, who is in you know, infinitely loved. Um and if you talk to shrinks, uh, like Phil Herndon, whatever, they say uh, overeating is actually mostly attract, uh, connected to loneliness, not to uh, other th- but just loneliness. I'm alone. And so, of course, that's the opposite of the gospel. Loneliness is fake it till you make it. Loneliness is I don't have connection with anybody. Uh, the gospel at the center of it says uh, I, I don't have to go to the Cheetos because I am connected to my Father, connected to, to through Christ. Um, and... The point of it is that it's a durable the, the purpose, whatever it's like a durable purpose. It's a durable meaning. Uh, it's salvation, it's sozo. And you know it allows us, can you be successful and, and make a lot of money? Sure, but you're not doing it to try to be accepted and to be loved and to be right. You know, can you be a successful athlete, 100 percent, but you're not doing it to you know try to fill some hole in your heart that your father left behind. When you do it the opposite, like when I go to Haiti in a couple of weeks, I'm going for different reasons than I went 15 years ago. You know, old Darren went down there to kick butt, take names, you know, honestly, to get revenge on whoever made me poor when I was a kid. You know, I was down there to avenge myself. Uh, And It's it's, uh, it's different now. I'm down there now. Because Romans 1, when Paul opens up, man, I want to see you. I long to see you. I miss you. God willing, I'll be there uh, because they're my friends. Yeah. And that's a whole different reason to go as a, you know, from a God. I don't have to prove myself anymore to anybody because Jesus already
1: proved himself to me. Uh, Again, it takes the pressure off. It's freedom. You live a life in freedom. And so one of the last images that you showed on Sunday was, you know, the the, the lion, uh Outside of the cage. Yeah, looking into the sunrise. Looking into the sunrise. And that's us. That can be us. That can be you, if you're listening. Freedom awaits. Don't have to live in the cage. Yeah. And I think there's something to the way that Paul was telling
0: the church at Rome here, these Jewish people, uh, your, your story of righteousness by works is lonely. You're either a victim or you're a villain. But allowing yourself then to be rescued, to allow yourself to have, and he says it simply to believe. You know, you're saying it out loud, say with your mouth, believe in your heart. You know, I don't know uh, how you did that, but when I was a kid, I just thought if I say this right and I do the quote unquote the prayer, then I'm saved. It's just not what he's saying.
1: I, a little confession here. I had to, I would go up front, you know, during the altar call. Almost every Sunday for like the first couple of years that I started understanding this, I was a child. Yeah. I was probably seven years old because I in, intuitively knew that I was, I was, I was breaking the laws. I was, I was getting in trouble or whatever. Well, you know, I made mom mad or sad or disappointed dad, whatever it was. So I, I was, I was going to that altar, that altar call or whatever it was every Sunday yeah. as a little boy. To try to make it right again. Yeah.
0: Piano player? Was there a piano player? Oh, of course. Just as I am? What were they playing? 100% of yeah. the time. Do they sing it or just play it? Both. Oh, yeah. First and third. Yeah. Verse. Yeah, the getting saved every Sunday, man. That was a total Nazarene move on my part, man. When, right, when, when right. Nazarene, you're getting saved every <laughs> Sunday. Um, the beauty is the, uh, I love, I mean, it's, it's Romans ten, nine, and ten. I've quoted it a hundred times. It was memorized, right? It was part of like you know when you do Romans Road. Yeah, the Romans Road this is like we're we're at the the pinnacle of it. You know, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, uh, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Like it's not that if I believe enough, it's not if I believe right. If I believe, uh, if I have some doubts, am I? It's literally just golly. Do I like? I believe that this that this God has my best interest in mind. I believe that this God loved me so much. So it's it's not that I have to have um, enough faith. He says everybody has the measure of faith. I think it's coming up here in Romans. Everybody's got. So we already have enough. So you don't even have to worry about. Do I have enough? You do. And that faith in you was. I mean, what I love about it is that. I didn't even believe it myself. He actually gave me the faith to believe, that faith, that saving faith, he gave me the faith. And you, you know, a few months, maybe a couple of years ago now, in Mark uh, 11, when you talked about sand to this mountain, if you, you know, be cast into the sea, um, you'll have whatever you say. He was talking about the faith there was not faith that you could have, I, I could, you know, it, it makes great songs, Christian music, you know, speak to this mountain, and cast the mountain into the sea. But Jesus, I remember when you did this, it was an aha moment for me. He was looking at the mountain, which was the mountain where the temple was. That's right, the temple. And so he was very specifically saying to this mountain, the law, the old way that you guys have been trying. I've given you thousands of years to try to do this. And now if you haven't figured it out yet, you can't do it. And now say, you know, believe in your heart, say it like that's the faith that he's talking about that mountain of law and of uh, of you know of loneliness of sad that mountain yeah. is cast into the sea uh that's a pretty big deal yeah. uh, and he had, he, i mean look he gave the jews uh thousands of years a couple thousand years and it didn't get him anywhere they were still you know what it got them was the pharisees were counting their salt granules He got them uh, a set of rules and regulations and policies and procedures, theological porcupines. They're making a lot of great points and nobody could touch them. (laughs) That's good. But there was no life, there was no. So when Jesus poured in the oil and the wine, oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the presence of God. And now that is in us, not in a temple, but in you and in I. And like, it's literally not just a King Jamesy thing. It's how you live on Tuesday. It's how we live on Thursday and it's how we live on Sunday.
1: Romans 10 was such such a good chapter to to study. Um so much in there and you did a, a great job of, of summing all that up and and hopefully perhaps if you're listening you're you're wrestling with the cage and perhaps that you are ready to step into some freedom. And if that's you listening to this, we would encourage you to reach out to us. Just email us, info at conduitchurch.com. We would love to have more of a conversation with you if you're wrestling with some of this. Um, there's there, We dove through a lot in this chapter, um, over the past few, of course. But salvation, sozo, um, the rescue is waiting for you. And um, we're excited to share that and tell you more about it. If you are... Just tuning in and just catching up to the Deeper podcast. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for jumping in. Um, we have uh, a couple years worth of, uh, no, actually a year. Sorry, we have a, about a year's worth of podcasts that we've been doing, year and a half. And you can go back to our catalog and catch some of those. Obviously, our teaching series is at our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash conduit church website, conduitchurch.com. And uh, we'll be again here next week diving into what looks to be Romans chapter 11 and Israel's future.